Hi there, this is Gary Rogowski for Splinters. Thank you for joining us. Today I have a story that I'd like to tell you. It's a story from long ago, but somehow seems pertinent to our world today. Settle in. Let me know if you agree. It's called The Trail Ride. Now for two testosterone-fueled high school boys like me and Lynch... What activity would sum up our consummate courage, our Wild West fortitude, and our lack of dating prospects better than a horseback ride for the two of us one late summer afternoon? Dating, it seemed, was the Kilimanjaro of our existence, a mountain off in the distance, forbidding, looming like a mirage, a taunt, a triumph for someone not named us. Who knew what it was like, actually? We had so little experience. Now, Hemingway knew. I had read Hemingway, but he had to go to war to figure it out. Not for us. Horses were our pastime that fine afternoon instead. We lived in a part of the world where trail rides could be rented. These stables were located somewhere out in the farmland, and it kept someone occupied enough to rent out these poor nags to young, inexperienced riders like ourselves. We lied, of course, and said that we had ridden plenty of times. Oh, sure, steer with your legs. Yep, I knew that. I'd watched Broderick Crawford ride a horse. The horses knew the routine, of course, and once we mounted and cinched ourselves in for the ride of a lifetime, they hurried out of the stable at a breakneck pace. It's called walking. Clip, clop, and then again, clip, clop. These horses knew they had two yo-yos on their backs. And they also knew that if they brought us back in one piece, maybe they would get some extra brushing, currying, or an apple. We entered the wilderness on their backs. This desperate territory we rode on consisted mainly of plowed, flat Illinois fields. These fertile tracks produced no Gila monsters, no rock outcroppings, nor any dead-end canyons where we might get ambushed. Nope. They were flat as a ruler for miles in every direction. We continued our perilous journey aside our steeds, our eyes peeled for signs of trouble. Where was my cowboy hat? The trail followed the tree line or hedgerow between fields of soybeans and young corn, the staples of a Midwestern diet. Many is the day now that I long for a good bowl of soybeans to remind me of my youth. Along the field stood leafy trees, a patch of water or two left over from yesterday's or today's five-minute rainstorm and plenty of horse manure to keep our noses clear. We walked around and passed a small pound of brown water that lay in our path. But we didn't get lost. No siree, as Lynch knew the way. He was a horseman of great repute. He had ridden here once more than I had, so he was trail boss. We followed the hedgerow for another couple of acres. We meandered down this one line of trees, saddles sore for sure, but we kept on and turned slowly to head down another fence line. We had been told to go only so far down from the barn until we got to a lake. At that lake, the horses would know then it was time to turn around, so we were just to let them do their job. I spit into the dust when I saw the lake. It held a lot of water and was large enough that it would be well past our hour's time if we decided to ride around it. Still, the explorer in me wanted to urge us on to see what was there. The horses checked their watches and turned around. They must have given each other the eye as they headed in unison back to the barn. 
They started along the trail of empty fields. My thoughts turned to Kilimanjaro, of course. They're just barely visible in the distance. As we made that sharp left turn to pick up the hedgerow trail again, Lynch turned to me and, in one of his moments of inventive brilliance, bestowed this surprising idea on me. He said, Let's gallop him home. To me, this thought had all the merit of spitting tobacco juice into the wind. I was no tin horn. Besides, my bottom hurt. So he took off without me. That boy was a racer and a bona fide idiot. That was certain. But when he picked up speed by kicking his keds into the horse's flanks, the thoroughbred took off for the homestead like she was made of lightning and grease. They charged along with that small pond just a short ways off in the distance. They raced towards it, Lynch urging his pony on. What could stop those two? My horse and I looked on in admiration and stupefaction. Lynch aimed straight for that puddle. He wanted to charge right through that mud pond in a hurrah of splish and mud splash. And the horse had other ideas. She veered right while Lynch's body hurled straight ahead. They separated like only a rider and pony can. The horse threw him off with the help of centrifugal force, just like shaking off a flea. Who knew why she did it? The horse was in charge, and so probably had said to herself, I'm not running through this mud puddle. There could be dragons in it, or giant eels, or it could be two inches deep and I could get my legs wet. I don't want my legs wet. Who knew what she was thinking at the time? She turned right. She zigged because there was always a puddle there on the trail. Any fool could see that. There's a mud hole there, a depression in the ground filled with water and slime. And if it was supposed to be avoided on the way out, why not avoid it on the way back? When you and your mount on your back were sort of galloping home to the feedback, just as easy to go around it as go through it and get wet. This is to the horse's way of thinking. Threw Lynch right off into the mud puddle, and the horse made it around just fine and slowed up at the other side of the small pond to stop and take in the sights of the day. Oh, look, there's my rider, and he's all wet. However did that happen? Lynch got up without trouble and no wear and tear on his body. The horse politely waited for him on the other side of the waters. He clambered aboard his mount, muttering a bit to himself. It just goes to show you that sometimes you're expecting to go one way, and the horse will go the other. Now here's where I tie everything together for us. Lynch fell off that horse because he assumed that he and she were going straight through that puddle. Now why had he made that assumption? Well, because it was what he expected. It was to him the logical thing to do to go straight on home to the barn. Why not go straight? It made the most sense to him. But the horse had it figured out different. Lynch couldn't tell the future any better than you and I could last February. Just like you and me back then, we thought we knew what would happen in March. It would unfold just like we expected it to. We raced forward, and then the world went a different way. Boy, oh boy, did we get thrown. I'm mostly done drying off from the mud bath, but it's time to get back on that pony. We've changed things around a little bit at the studio and are doing online lectures and workshops now. As we finish up our spring term, everything got knocked out of whack there. So we're finishing up some hands-on classes in the studio, and we'll start again in October. But in the meantime, we'll be doing online lectures. We've done milling lumber and uh, my top hand planes. We just finished up a inlay secrets workshop, a two-day event, which was a lot of fun. And on Wednesday, August 12th, we have a lecture on my top five machines for making furniture. None of them is a table saw. August 25th, we've got a lecture on sharpening. 
these are set up so that folks can ask questions, give feedback on techniques. Um, we try and make it as interactive as possible. We've got another workshop coming up in September, plain shaves and scrapers. That'll be two days as well. And then hand cut dovetails, September 22nd and September 24th. So we are working towards more of an online model to reach a broader group of folks in the hope that we can provide education comfort along the way during these wild times. I think that being at the bench is important stuff, and there's a lot of information that is out there on the web that is, oh, let's just call it not quite as tuned up as it needs to be. So um, offering this to uh, the world at large is our, is our goal. So I hope you'll join us. We are also working on an online mastery program for the coming year. This is a two-year program, actually. And that program would be a weekly program where we would get together for two to three hours uh, every week for 10 weeks in the fall, winter, and spring and build over the two-year period uh, 11 pieces of furniture. And uh, this, might be, uh, this might be the best way to do this distance program. We've done the distance mastery program for years. We could reach more folks this way. There will, won't be any travel involved, at least present time. But we can get that information out and teach people both techniques for building and techniques for design. And that's really my goal is to have people learning about both construction techniques and how to design. Design is a vocabulary. Learning it is not easy, <laughs> but it's not that hard either. And it involves, as with all good things, a certain amount of failure and trial and error and correcting mistakes and trying new iterations. But it's so much fun. It's so much more fun than grabbing a set of plans from someone else and building their piece. To say that you designed a piece and you made it, that's a nice feeling. That's one of the things that got me involved years ago in this woodworking stuff was that sense of satisfaction, completion, really feeling like I had created something out of nothing. And given what I started to work with, it was pretty much nothing. I had no clue what I was doing. As I mentioned to the, to the group of inlay students, as I was carving, carving some, uh, some inlay, I had to switch over and carve with my left hand. I said, I tell my teachers and I tell myself, I remind myself, if you want to know what it feels like to be a newcomer, switch to your non-dominant hand. Boy, you immediately find out how clumsy you are. I'm not completely clumsy with my left hand, but um, it is challenging to make it the dominant one. And, and yet that kind of progression in education, that kind of learning can occur if you stay with it, if you practice, and you have to commit to that practice. But these days where people are consuming <laughs> countless lifetimes of Netflix in a week, how much more sense does it, does it make to start to learn a skill, start to learn a craft? 
And my goal with the mastery program, as I mentioned, is to teach people how to design as well as build. Now, no one's going to be creating pieces that have never been seen before, and yet they will be unique. That is in the nature of design. It is a mixture of what we've seen in the past and how we reinterpret that with our newfound skills and newfound eyes. That's the fun part, is amassing all this information and then coming up with some new version of the chair or the table or the dovetail box. We do one project between uh, our first year and our second year, which is a lot of fun. That's called a two by four by eight project, where you take that much material, two inches by four inches by eight foot, and make something out of that. Each cut then becomes important because you're losing precious material. So it's a, it's a challenge in building and a challenge in design. And that's the, the sort of stuff that I find really fascinating and great fun. So I hope you'll check that uh, program out. I can send you a prospectus if you drop me a note. Go to our website, northwestwoodworking.com, and go to the Mastery tab and take a look at the online Mastery program. You can request a prospectus, and it gives you all the details on time and the pieces that we build and costs, all that, all that good stuff. Uh, you'll need to work out of your own shop, uh, but I think a lot of people are, are setting up shops, trying to make that transition. And I think it really helps our health, our mental health, to get in there and, and do some work. And it doesn't have to be groundbreaking stuff, just getting in there and cutting a five-minute dovetail, getting in there and sharpening your tools. This is this is good enough. This is good stuff. Learning these skills. Because I think there's value in being at the bench. There's value in being quiet with ourselves. There's value in trying to deliver on the piece, on the promise you make to yourself. I'm going to build this piece and taking it through to, the, to its completion. Even when you make mistakes. That's, and that's the challenge. And that's the thing you... You must learn at the benches. Well, I screwed up. Now what am I going to do? And that kind of education, I think, is valuable and helps us throughout our, our days, throughout our day. So I hope you'll join us. Check out the website, northwestwoodworking.com. Join us on our online classes. We are we're having fun with that. Thanks very much for listening. Take care of yourselves out there. Stay healthy. 